Cooper, you're famous. Zach, I, uh, I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> you My are, big break. You were a child of prodigy. <sighs> prodigy is probably the best word. Yeah. We hinted at it last week. Yep. Kind of briefly talked about it. I know you've had to fight off the fanfare. Yeah, I, I signed a couple autographs. This I mean, week. you work with middle schoolers. That is their time. Well, it's a little mind. It's, it's a little mind. It's uh, it's our time. It's it was our time. I and, mean, let the cat out of the bag. I mean, Coop. so Zach, you actually mentioned it last week, but uh, I was on a Barney episode. If you think back and remember all of the Barney episodes that you once watched when you were a child, there was normally three to five little kids with Barney during yeah. the scene during and, the episode. You didn't realize, but they were the most important piece yeah. in the episode. If they weren't there, it would have been so weird. We so actually weird. just watched almost a whole episode of Barney. I, well, we skipped a good amount. <laughs> we skipped most of it because we, I mean, we've Let already learned. the record show. We've already learned everything there is to learn from, from Barney. Barney. Yeah, yeah, but we watched my episode. We did. We watched Jason's episode. That's right. That was my character's Jason. name. Which is like, Cooper's such a good name. I don't yeah. know why I went with Jason, but. I don't know. That's my, my name was Jason, part. and it was the hearing episode. Yeah, if you type in YouTube, Barney episode hearing yep it will pop up it will literally pop up and i'm wearing a maroon shirt with jorts with jorts and some black shoes i we it kind of looks like sandals the the quality is so poor <laughs> that, that we can't actually tell i think it's socks and sandals probably i mean I, i've been known to dabble yeah but uh, i have one line you do can you recite it for us <coughs> do, do you remember here yeah. i'll give you barney's piece. okay hey it's, jason well, it's I, not barney it's dj oh it's the DJ. yellow dinosaur <laughs> i'm sorry yeah. Hey, Jason, can I borrow that? No problem. Hey, Jason, may I please have that for a minute? No problem. Thanks. <laughs> you sounded just like him. Thank you. Jason, well, I'm honored to be sitting across from such a famous child. Yeah, actor. you know, I actually did quite a few. I did a couple things. You did like a acting. SpongeBob. Uh, I did an operate, like the game operation. Yeah. SpongeBob commercial. And uh, my line in that was, SpongeBob doesn't look so good. SpongeBob doesn't look so good. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I think we need to operate. You, yeah, you can find that one on YouTube as well. Yeah, Operation SpongeBob. I, uh, I did modeling for uh, wow. Boy Scouts magazine. Oshkosh? Oh no, Boy Scout. I was in a Dillard's, like really? in the store. You know, on those big posters when they used to have like kids and clothes. That was me. I was in that. You and you saw yourself in a Dillard's. Yeah. What was it like walking into a Dillard's and seeing yourself on the? Well, on the wall? it was hard to see anything because of the hordes of people. That were crowding around. I'm just kidding. Is that no. Jason from Barney? But Zach, I actually had an I had an opportunity. I've heard you tell this to story. be like my life would radically be different if you this think had so. Country. Absolutely. So mm. uh, there was a couple things. Breaking Bad, that TV show. Yeah. I uh, I was auditioning to be on that, but uh, I would have been essentially the drug dealer. I would have been him when he was a kid. So like I would have had to cuss Ooh. and stuff. I also auditioned for Friday Night Lights, the TV show. Oh. I was going to be a recurring character on there, but I would have had to cuss again. And my parents, Tough. my parents loved a good wholesome coup. Yeah, that's why you were on Barney. That's right, and I, <laughs> so I was grateful. But yeah. the big—I don't think I actually got either of those auditions, or maybe I got pulled before. I don't yeah. know. But this one is an is an audition that I got. Mm. I think I believe the year was two thousand and eight. Okay. Summer Olympics. Good year. Good year. I turned. I didn't well, it. actually, it wasn't a great year. I don't remember the year. Bad, it was in Beijing. Bad markets, the re bad the reason I remember 2008 was because yeah. 8808 is my birthday, August uh, 8th, and the Olympics opening ceremonies were 8808. 8808, right? No, it'd be 88. <clears throat> anyway, Beijing, <laughs> yeah. Michael Phelps, he did yeah, really great yeah, that yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I auditioned for an international McDonald's commercial oh. with Yao Ming. 
No. Do you remember Yao Ming? Yeah. The the Chinese giant. He's like seven six. He's outrageously tall. Yeah. But I went to the place. I auditioned. I got the part. Like I was the only thing preventing me from being in it was we hadn't filmed it yet. So I drive down to Austin, Texas. Okay. The capital of this beautiful state. Yes. Wonderful. Way better than Oklahoma. <laughs> and I get there to find out uh, the Olympics are still going. China's basketball team had done better than they were expected to. So Yao Ming had to cancel the shoot. I mean, I would have gotten exposure yeah. like no other. I We would not be friends. Probably not. This podcast would not be as You would now. have been interviewing me on the podcast. <laughs> I would a, have been hoping to interview exactly. you. Exactly. And then use your contact to reach Justin Bieber. That's right, because he and I would have probably been you friends. Would, you would be friends with Justin Bieber I right was, now if Yao Ming would have I showed was up. one Yao Ming away from being Bieber's friend. Gosh, I know that and is so, just, so disappointing. Just, you know, hey, God is sovereign. Yeah, and I'm so happy with the life I have now. Yeah. yeah, but I had what it took. Wow, I wasn't just some little bum boy that would show up, and yeah. you weren't I, just like I mean, every other Jason. I was un, I was underutilized on Barney. I'll say they should have uh, given yeah, me. I should have had a monologue. I think, but you were the only one with us being part from what we saw. No, there was a couple other one liners that a few kids <sighs> had. I they should have given them all these. I know they should have. You also had to awkwardly hug Barney. Yeah, and give him a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's you for me and to you. Yeah, if you go back and watch the episode, there's a little moment there. You can see your frustration. You briefly, after the kiss, before my face is out of frame, there's a brief Pause moment it. of as soon as you bummer. Can. I'm yeah. just like, I, I was just self, <laughs> self-loathing. Well, and if you know Cooper, you know he's not a big physical touch guy. That's right. So. And I was also around eight years old, like in yeah. that. So it's just weird. And maybe even older. But like I was past the age of Barney's cool. Mm. so like i used to watch barney now i don't now i'm like with him and i'm like i'm just stuck on the fact that you could be justin bieber's friend right i now. know i know <sighs> you could get peaches down in georgia with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah go well, listen to the new album if you haven't yeah justice justice anyway cooper i'm i'm thankful that yao ming didn't show up because we're now this friends. hey this friendship is because of you it's because of you yao ming if you're listening Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your time in the Summer Olympics and I believe 2008 so that I could be here. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially if you're there. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, the child prodigy, Jason from Barney, the hearing episode. Hey, Coop. It's me, Zach. Cooper McCullough. <laughs> Just I'm actually on the Barney Wiki. My middle name is misspelled, Ugh. which is a tragedy. If A-L-L-A-N you want to start, A N yeah. is how you spell it. They put an E. Foolish. <laughs> well, is it foolish? <laughs> how many people have you met spell Alan A N? Seldom do I come across a man. <laughs> Why is it spelled that way? Um, because it's it's after my great grandfather. Okay, that's who acceptable. Was in the war, mm. and uh, I mean he was the goat. My dad. I also my dad has a middle name, so it's a, it's a lineage. It's a family thing. Name. It's Your a family child name. will have. Right, right. Okay, good. Well, that's good enough. My eldest son, the the, the champion of McCullough <laughs> that's name. Right. That's right. Well, Cooper, speaking of champions, we have a great episode today. I was hoping we would, Zach. <laughs> we do, Coop. I was honored to get the opportunity to speak with the 49th governor of the state of Tennessee, Mr. Bill Haslam. Mr. Haslam was obviously the governor of Tennessee. Before that, he was the mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. And under his leadership, Tennessee was recognized as a leader in education, economic development, efficient and effective government, and fiscal strength. He's known for his bipartisan support and his winning of the governorship with the largest margin in Tennessee history or in modern Tennessee history. 
And, and he's known as a caring, compassionate leader and a man who was able to reach across the aisle and get things done in state government. And that's something that I think our country and our, uh, our society and our generation can learn a lot about is how do we face issues that are of such great importance and, and, and break it apart from the personal aspect of the person you disagree with. It's so funny when I talked to, to, to Mr. Haslam of how many times he went back to the Bible, he quoted scripture, and how many times he said the word humility. And that's something that we all can hear today is whenever you're faced with an argument or someone who disagrees with you, you have to remind yourself that that person is made in the image of God and that they have just a different opinion with you. And you have to always start with the thought of the other fella might be right. They might just be right, and it's worth my while to listen to them and to have the humility to think through the fact that they might be right. Now, Bill Haslam is one of the, the greatest men to lead the state of Tennessee, and it was an honor to get to speak with him for a few minutes. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you learned something from it today. This is called Redeeming Politics Through Humility with Governor Bill Haslam. Well, Governor Haslam, thank you so much for being on and uh, just being willing to take some time out to answer some questions. And I want you to start by just introducing yourself and uh, who are you and then kind of what was your path to get to the Tennessee governorship? Sure. Uh, Bill Haslam um, had the honor of serving as Tennessee governor from 2011 to 2019. Prior to that, I actually um, went to college with the thought that I was going to be a pastor and would go to seminary and uh, got out of school and decided to work for a couple of years and in the process decided that seminary and being a pastor was not the right calling for me. Went into business knowing that that probably isn't what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, uh, but stayed there for, I think, 18, 19 years. Uh, and then uh, some folks asked me if I would be interested in running for Knoxville uh, mayor, uh, my hometown, and first laughed and said, no way, no interest. Uh, but after a period of time, particularly with talking with a group of guys that I'd been in a Bible study with for 20 years, became convinced it was the right thing and ran for mayor and loved it. Uh, just thought it was the best uh, job I'd had, felt more like a calling than anything I'd done. And so ran for re-election and won. And then was that term was nearing an end, ran for governor of Tennessee in, 2000, in the 2010 election won and was reelected in 2014. So uh, again, had the opportunity to be in office for uh, 15 years as mayor and governor. And for me, the uh, the calling uh, was the right, exactly the right thing for me. That's an amazing story. And it's kind of unorthodox from a lot of politicians yeah. or people who run for office. You went to seminary. And so kind of talk about that. I didn't go. I thought about going. That was my thought plan about going. college uh, and never went. But and it was kind of this thought uh, that that might be where, you know, I could have the biggest ministry impact. Yeah. And I, I laugh as things work out. I told people I, I ran for mayor thinking I would be like the CEO of the city. And I soon discovered it was way more like being the senior pastor of the city, not in the sense of I would give a sermon at city council meetings or, uh, or in the market square, but in the sense of just an incredible chance to serve people. Uh, if you think about all the things that government does, uh, if we can find a way to serve people a little bit better, 
um, uh, or in in new ways, then that that too can feel like ministry, just like it can being in business or medicine or education or anything else. I love that. And I love thinking about the kind of the heart of leaders in that. Whenever you think of politicians or you think of CEOs, you think of kind of the hard business leaders, when in reality, you're leading people. So kind of how did you use that pastor's heart that you have to lead people on a political realm rather than just saying, this is what we're doing, follow me, this is where we're going, which some days you might have to. But how did you use kind of the pastors, the shepherding role in that that area? Well, I think a couple of things um, in terms of, of shepherding the people around you. It, it's most people's um, most people are looking for someone to enter into their world uh, with interest and compassion. Mm. And you have a, the chance to do that in a lot of ways in elected office. So that was one way. Number two, in terms of making decisions, uh, I think that what I always try to do is this, is, is a, as a Christian, one of the things you should know about yourself, one of the primary ones is that, um, you know, is, uh, uh, is, uh, met, is uh, for, for we've all, for all, we've all like, like sheep uh, straight and, um, uh, Paul says, you know, all are sinful. Um, and the if you start with that idea, if you really do believe that, if you believe that I'm a broken, fallen person, then you also know that means that then you could be wrong. Whatever your opinion is about this issue, you have to start with this idea of you could be wrong. And my political mentor was a guy named Howard Baker. He was a senator from Tennessee. He was from a small country town. And he, one of his famous sayings was, always remember the other fella might be right. And um, I think as believers, we should particularly carry that thought because we should, we know like, hey, I, I know from my own life, I, I've made, I can make a lot of mistakes. Therefore, I might be wrong about this. And that, I mean, that takes an incredible amount of humility to be able to admit that and to be able to even say that. And like we were talking before, especially the college campuses right now seem to be such just hotbeds of issues and where people are so divided. Right. So how can you enter into a political discussion or a policy decision with humility? That's such a great question. And you're right. College campuses are that way. I've taught on several uh, college campuses since I can't got out of office and I'm I'm struck by how strident the tone is and how I'm thinking, wow, for, for 19 through 22 year olds, these folks are, are really dug in and what they yeah. believe. And so here's, here's what I, I actually have just finished a book that's getting ready to come out called Faithful Presence. And here, here's the premise of the book. It's that we all know that as a country, it's not just college campuses, but as a whole country, we're divided and we're pretty evenly divided. If you look the Senate's 50-50, the House, uh, the, the House of Representatives is close. Close. Uh, the, the presidential election, uh, while Biden, you know, won the election, it, it wasn't a landslide. And, yeah. and it's been a long time since we've had a landslide election. This country is closely divided. Um, and not only we're divided, but we're at each other's throats. We're mad. At, we're not just divided, we're mad about it. And so if you disagree with me, I'm mad at you. And then even a step further, I even question your motives uh, that if if you're on the other side, you're there for selfish motives of some reason. That's just how we think of each other, where we become contemptuous of the other side. So what if what if um, 
is we is the country looks around and goes, we're at each other's throats, we're mad, uh, we're contemptuous. What if the world could see Christians as being part of the answer to that problem instead of uh, the people who are making that problem worse? Mm-hmm. And my experience from being in the public square is that Christians have oftentimes made this situation worse. We've we've contributed to everybody being at each other's throats instead of saying, what would it look like to be salt and light in this situation? And I honestly think this, it begins with, because we know we could be wrong, because we know that we're fallen human beings, then we should enter that public square with humility. And if you're wondering like, well, I don't, you know, it feels like the stakes are too high. That, that all sounds really nice Sunday school language you know, God's really clear for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. Um, he is repeated um, in the New Testament. And so the I kind of I think our our marching orders are really clear. We've just missed them. Yeah, well, I would completely agree with you. And I think we as Christians also have the advantage of having truth on our side and that we are we know the truth and we know uh, what that because we have God's word. So how do you apply your Christian's convictions and what you believe because of what the Bible says towards policy decisions with someone who doesn't necessarily agree with you on a theological basis? Well, it's a great question. So the first thing is this, is to ask yourself, um, are my, is my faith determining my politics or the other way around? Or is my politics determining my faith? Because mm-hmm. for so many of us, politics has become a god. And it's become the thing that we we think our side has to win on this. It's it's too important. The, the future of our country is at stake. But I, I, I would come back and say this. We should be really clear about those things that Scripture is really clear about. And those other things that Scripture is not as clear about, um, we should approach um, with a different spirit. So what what does that mean? Again, I think it's really clear we're supposed to be uh, humble people in the public square. We've had a lot of conversations about what's the Christian position on abortion or marriage or lots of other issues. But the, the, the first thing we know is that we should be people of humility. Okay, so we know that. Then the second thing we should look at is what are those things that aren't so clear? Like, you know, Scripture says we should be really concerned for the poor. And that we should go further and actually feed the poor. Now, it doesn't tell us how we should do that. So coming up with the the feed the poor um, uh, admonition and how do we do that? I I don't think that can be really clear. We should feed the poor. How we do that? I don't think there's a that you can land with that. Thus, that means you're on this political position of the capitalism versus socialism uh, spectrum. Right. And if you're against it, you're a, you're a capitalist, you, you hate the poor, and it, it becomes personal. Right. And that, that's what, what your, your last point there is such a good one that we've let everything become personal. And even, even beyond personal, it's because you have bad, bad like I said, you have bad motives. It's interesting. There's, there's something called a, this will sound like something what your professors would say, but it's, well, hang on, but it's called motivation, attribution, asymmetry. And what that means is how much how much uh, I doubt your motives. 
And the, the motivation attribution of symmetry, like how much it's different between the two sides in America today is greater than that between Israelis and Palestinians. Mm. We've always thought, okay, that's the, like, you can't, you can't solve peace in the Middle East. You know, yeah. that, that's how, how much dug in those two sides seem. But actually the right and left in, the, in the America today are more dug in than Israelis and Palestinians are against each other. Yeah, it's amazing to think about, and we can be so blind to it. Is there an example that you have in your administration as governor where you were able to apply your Christian conviction to a decision that was made, whether it's education, whether it is feeding the poor, any initiatives that y'all had or an example that you can give? Well, again, uh, there are a lot of things that were really clear to me that we should address. Now, I also thought there was some room left for uh, political interpretation in there, but how are we going to provide health care to low-income folks? Okay, that, there's a great one. Should we do it by uh, following up on, uh, you know, President Obama's Affordable Care Act and making sure we expand the coverage of uh, uh, the, uh, the population that's covered, or should we take a different approach to that? So I, I would start to say, we, should we be concerned that low-income people have health care? Yeah, I think we should. Now, how that works out I think you can take a different uh, approach to, but we can't just say that's not my problem. Right. Hmm. You, we've talked a lot about humility, a lot about gentleness and kind of entering these arenas or these conversations with humility and humble hearts. And there's also kind of an aspect of being open to reason and open to other ideas. And it seems like whatever side you're on, whether you're the right or the left, that you are so indoctrinated and you are so set in stone of this is what I believe. So what would you say to the person who are who is now thinking about what would it look like to, to start with? The other fellow might be right. What is the first step in kind of opening your mind to those ideas that and being open to reason? And so I don't I, I don't I don't know if you're aware, but you're actually quoting scripture when you say open to reason. Yeah. James, when he talks about he talks about earthly wisdom and then he talks about wisdom that's from above. And the wisdom that it's from above, he says, is first pure, then peaceful, uh, peaceful, gentle, impartial, open to reason. Mm. Okay. Now, so when I say that we, we, you know, the, this approach of the other fellow might be right, that's actually a biblical approach. Like I said, not just born out of our own brokenness, mm. but out of James saying, you should, when you approach issues, you should be pure, you should have a pure heart about it. You should be looking for a peaceful result. You should be gentle. You're not trying to kill the other side. You're not trying to, if you're a conservative, to own the liberals, or if you're a liberal, to own the conservatives. Uh, but you should be impartial, not just like, this is what I think I'm right. And then you should be open to reason. That's, that's scriptural admonition for us. So we're being open to reason. Now we have to look at that other person who disagrees with us and we have to remove what they believe from their personal being and see them as the human being they are. How did you do that when you were a governor or you had someone who completely disagreed in removing that? So here's why I said when, when I look at the, the country being at each other's throats and that maybe believers can be salt and light in this situation. Why can we, why should we be able to do that? Why should we be be able to make a difference in the public square because I, I, I literally believe that this person on the other side of the argument is created in the image of God. Mm. Okay. If I, if I, again, if I'm following scripture, this other person is, as C.S. Lewis would say is 
uh, is is the nearest thing that, that you have to worship, uh, you know, beyond the beyond the, the word of God uh, on this earth. I mean, because that you're literally created in the image of God. Mm. Uh, and so if you are created in the image of God, then I, I can't just say, ah, Zach is so wrong and he's a horrible person, et cetera, because I, I have to start with Zach's created in the image of God. So my conversation, everything about that conversation should look different from that point. And here's, this is, again, I know everybody listens to this say, all that sounds great, but there's too much at stake, Bill. There's too much at stake for us to act this way. But I say, think about the world that Jesus came into. It was at each other's, I mean, it was the Romans had taken over. Um, the, you know, the, the, uh, the Jewish people had had, you know, they were working on their second temple being destroyed, which would be destroyed soon thereafter, even within the, even within Judaism, there was a lot of different sects that were battling each other at all time. This was a, we think our world is dog, our political world is dog eat dog. Theirs was too. Yeah. And yet Jesus is saying, here's the approach that I want you to take. And it starts with realizing that. Most folks on the other side are created in the image of God. And one last thought there is, listen, it, it, you know, we've we just finished, um, you know, celebrating Easter. And uh, we have to remember, we serve a God who came to let the bad guys kill him, not to kill the bad guys. Mm. Uh, and that that should change the way we're not called to be that same kind of martyr. Don't get me wrong. Right. We're not going to give our lives for um for our political foes, but we are called to give up our lives um, uh, to take up his cross daily and follow him. Yeah. I think it's so important to remind ourselves that that other person is made in the image of God and that allows you to be open to reason and then use your Christian convictions to inform the decisions that you make. I think it's so important. You just nailed it. Well, for you, what would you say to the Christian who kind of has grown up in the church has like kind of always been told that politics is too messy and icky and Christians shouldn't enter into that? What is your message to that Christian says, no, we need to get engaged in this arena? Yeah. First of all, I start with this. Um, it says, for God so loved the world. Yeah. Um, and so we we aren't. I, you, I can't find anything in scripture that says we're called just to live our own lives in our own little holy huddles. And um, so, I mean, there, there's a sense in which, I mean, not a sense, there's a truth in which scripture talks about us being concerned about the common good for this world that God loves. Um, second, if that's true, then we need to admit that, that government matters, that how we govern uh, makes a big difference. Uh, and the third thing I'd say is this, you know, Martin, I'm, I'm going to mess the quote up, but it, it's, it's in my book. But I, uh, Martin Luther says, you know, send your best and brightest um, into politics, uh, into the because because of the ambiguity involved. He said it, you know, Luther, who's a preacher himself, says in preaching, the Holy Spirit does all the work. Yeah. But in the messiness of politics and the ambiguity require us to send our very best to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting thought that the, the Holy Spirit, when you're in the pulpit, the Holy Spirit should be taking control and doing all the preaching for you. There you go. There you go. Well, that's, that was Luther's point. I, I don't yeah. know what the theology. Uh, the, <laughs> I guess one, other, the other, one other point I'd say is this, Zach, is particularly given the uh, who who this show, who the audience for the show is, if you think about it, 
there's a lot of things that we give training for um, in the church. This is the big church, okay? There's probably a lot of your listeners have been part of a a Christian youth groups, either in high school or college of some kind, maybe an on-campus ministry. Well, think about what those campus ministries are training you to do. They're not training you to make all A's and they're not training you to make a four point in college. They're training you how to walk as a believer on a college campus or a high school campus or whatever it is. Okay, that's the purpose. In politics, somehow, I think we've, as Christians, thought the purpose of sending Christians into politics is to go make the the political equivalent of a 4.0, okay, to win the day. But what what a Christian campus ministry is talking teaching you to do is how do you walk as a believer in this situation? We haven't done a good job of telling, telling people how should they walk as believers in the on the public square. And I think that's the those are the conversations that we need to have. Like we all know like okay, well here's what the church's position is on issues around abortion or marriage or whatever, whatever, whatever those things would be, we haven't done nearly as, 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 as good a job of describing what should it look like to be a believer in the public square. Mm, that's such a good point of these are all the things we're against, but you no, know, we need to be teaching people, this is what you're for. And as a Christian, as you're walking as a, as just a citizen, this is the way that you should walk. Yeah, I think that, that that what you ended there with, this is the way that you should walk in a way um, that is worthy of the gospel. Mm, yeah, it's so interesting. I want to just have you tell a story real fast of the, your education, uh, what you did with education in Tennessee. I think it, I just want to hear this. I think it's such a great story. It's something that you can be very proud of, yeah. of, of the lady that worked in the governor's mansion that was able to get her education. What is that story real fast? So one of the big initiatives we put in place was the opportunity for everybody, regardless of their income level or background, to have access to free community college or technical school, because I just I really believe that opportunity can answer a lot of the big issues dividing the country and whether it be income inequality or health health gaps, a lot of other things. And so we started that program for everybody that graduated from high school. You could go to free community college or technical school, and then we expanded it to include anybody. If if you didn't already have a degree or certificate, we would pay for two years of community college or technical school. Well, there was a woman who actually worked in the governor's residence. She was on the cleaning staff, and then she had also uh, she also cooked my cooked the governor's breakfast, uh, which was a great perk to walk down every morning and have bacon and eggs and toast that somebody else had already done. Uh, well, uh, Sue. Uh, came to me and said, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about taking up that uh, that opportunity and going to get free community college. And there was a little part of me that was like, I was no, there's a big part of me I was so excited for, but there's a little part of me that says, mm, once you get a degree, you probably are not going to stay on the custodial staff here. Right. And certain enough, she, she pursued that. And she, I remember I would sit there and eat breakfast and she came back after the first week of school and said, Sue, how's it going? She goes, it's just too hard. I can't do it. I've, I've been out of school too long. And I said, well, mm-hmm. hang in there. Did it set her? Well, then pretty soon she said, I think I'm getting the hang of it. And then she said, Hey, I've, I finished my first semester and, you know, and got a B and then she kept going, but it's, it's about those. I think part of what or, or not, one of the beauties of government is the chance to literally help give people a different trajectory for their lives. Uh, but we have to do that in ways that are thoughtful. 
Um, and, uh, and, but in doing that, I think it gives you a chance to, um, to walk out what you believe in ways that, you know, that I think to me, like I said, I, I hate to keep using the word, but just felt like calling. Yeah, no, I think it's a great, it's a wonderful story of saying how a Christian and politics can make a difference in someone's education and it's propelling them forward. And it's outside the church. It's someone in the public square doing something really, really good. And with the few seconds I have left with you, I want to ask you one last question. We love asking everybody is what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Uh, I, I would, uh, I, I guess I'd give two pieces of, I'd almost uh, cheat and say two that, it is a great stage of life, but all the stages are great. I'm, I'm 60, I'll be 63 this year. And I, I love being 63 just as much as I love being 20. So um, don't think, Oh, the people that tell you, these are the best years of your life. Well, they, they could be, uh, but there's a lot of great there, you know, God's blessings are true. A lot of different places in life. I think the second thing is, it would be that, that um, I would encourage people to, to live by that whole idea of, you know, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The, the world is so longing for people who aren't living lives about themselves. And I think as believers, what, what we have is, you know, you have a world that if you think about it, there's this constant struggle between um, justice and mercy. And we have people out now marching the streets saying no justice, no, no peace, no justice, no peace. But all of us know that we don't really want just total justice because we know that we're too broken and we mess up too much. Right. Wow. And so we know that we need mercy as believers. We have the incredible advantage of having a God who showed how to do have justice and mercy at the same time. And we just celebrated that with what happened on the cross. Uh, a God who said, my holiness requires justice to happen, somebody to pay for these decisions that, that you're making. Yeah. But my mercy means I'm going to send my own son to do it. And as believers, we actually have the best picture of how to mix justice and mercy. Mm, that's so good. And I hope everyone listening takes that and, and really re-listens to it and then applies it to your life and leadership in the coming weeks and months. Well, Governor Haslam, thank you so much for your time. It was, a, it was an honor to speak with you. Well, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, I just encourage you guys to, uh, to keep walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. Thank you, sir.